Good afternoon, everybody. It's great to see you. Great to, to be here uh, and to be able to talk to real faces um, and also to be able to share with everybody who's uh, joining online, whether you're live with us now or whether you're catch catching up. We're working through this summertime our series uh, Psalms of Ascent. Uh, just a quick reminder of what the Psalms of Ascent are, if you're joining us uh, maybe for the first time. Psalms of Ascent, section of Psalms, 120, 100 to 135. They're songs which are designed as, if you like, pilgrimage songs or songs for a journey. Why do we call them the songs for ascent? It's because they're the journey for the, the people of God would make a number of times a year, maybe once a year, maybe more, where they would travel from wherever they lived um, in Judea, they would travel to Jerusalem. And pretty much everywhere where you lived, you would be traveling upwards. Uh, and actually, when you start to dig into the Old Testament, a lot of the geography of the place is really important in the way that it describes uh, the faith of the people of God. Uh, the, the geography becomes something that um, allows them to describe in physical form uh, and to see pictures and to see securities and to see hope. Uh, and Psalm 125 that we're looking at today, uh, I think in lots of ways could be really relevant for us today. The question is this, as we travel on this journey, as we travel on our ascent, that's the first question, are we on an ascent? Are we traveling towards uh, a place of hope? I want to ask this question. Can we, in the world that we live today, can we genuinely, can we with integrity, sing a song of hope in a world that's corrupt? That's a really important question for us to sing, uh, to consider as we come to this particular song, as we consider the corruption of the world that we live in. The world is corrupt. That is not, um, that's not a dramatic statement. Uh, I don't, I hope for you that is not a shock. I'm pretty sure for everybody watching and for everybody here this afternoon, it's not a shock to say that the world is a corrupt place. It is. I was watching a film recently about uh, the crash in 2008. The global financial meltdown, which was fueled by greed and corruption. Ratings agencies making financial products a triple A rated secure investment when in actual fact they were a disaster. Money and power coming together in such a way as to bring the most profound corruption which had a global impact. A dramatic rise globally in homelessness, in poverty, in suicides, in addictions. So what we see as a little banking crisis and a few people who are wanting to make a bit of extra money had a profound 
global crisis and a profound human cost attached to it. One of the great challenges of the human endeavor, this idea that humanity is is seeking to march towards a better place, that we are creating a place of, of hope and of confidence and of safety and of justice, that idea of human endeavor seeking to take humanity towards that comes into crisis with human history. Human endeavor pitted against human history. Because human history tells us that we will not reach that place of hope, that place of uh, justice, that place of rightness through human activity. That's what human history tells us. So here's the question. Is this idea of us singing this idea of hope this idea of looking towards a better place, is it kind of almost lying to ourselves? Are we just trying to make ourselves feel better? Or, or really, to, to, to coin one of the ideas which, which comes across in really strong uh, atheistic thinking, is any kind of religion, and particularly is the Christian faith, Simply some sort of psychological crutch which we inoculate ourselves outside of our painful existence from. Let's have a look at how this psalm answers that question by causing us to sing this song of hope. The opening verse, uh, verse 1 of 125, 1 and 2 actually, those who trust in the Lord are like Mount Zion, which cannot be shaken but endures forever. As the mountains surround Jerusalem, so the Lord surrounds His people both now and forevermore. That's how it opens up. So you can imagine this group of people, very often the pilgrimage to Jerusalem, the journey to Jerusalem would be conducted in relatively large groups family groups or groups from a particular geographical location, traveling up to Jerusalem together, and maybe somebody would break into song. And you could hear the song open up at the beginning. It would be, imagine just for a moment, what it would be like, a burning hot day, a steep climb up the mountains into Jerusalem, and from up ahead, you hear a voice starts to sing out, those who trust in the Lord are like Mount Zion. And everybody knows which song it is. And, it, and the song ripples through the group. It's really short, isn't it? I can imagine they sang it again and again as they traveled. And gradually, the volume would be increasing and the people would be reinforcing their thoughts with the words that they sang. And look where their hope comes from. Because right from the beginning, we have a declaration which says that our hope is not a psychological kind of crutch. It's based on something which is a paradigm shift 
for the way that we think as humanity. See what it says. Those who trust in the Lord are like Mount Zion, which cannot be shaken, but endures forever. The foundation of their hope, firstly, is in the Lord, but secondly, it's in the notion of eternity. As, they, as you look around the group that you're walking up that dusty trail with, or to be honest, as you look around the group that we're in this afternoon, as you imagine if you're watching online the group that you might be sat with, you see young. You see teenagers. You see adults. You see older adults. You see the aged struggling along that dusty path. And the paradigm shift that takes place by that opening verse is this. Even though it looks as though humanity and each individual human being is kind of journeying from cradle to grave and that's the end of it, the destabilizing thought is this. The new way of considering your life the new way of me considering my life is that it is shaped within eternity. We are eternal beings. That changes everything. We are eternal beings. It's a, it's a tremendous shift that takes place. The picture that is drawn draws on the idea of the geography. Jerusalem, is it built on seven hills? I think it's seven hills. Should check that. Should check that. How many? Somebody tell me later. Have I got the right number of hills? Anyway, it's built on hills, but it is surrounded by mountains. In other words, Jerusalem is kind of nestled, surrounded by what what humanity looks like as being enduring. <laughs> the mountains are there when we're gone. The mountains were there before we arrived. There is that strong stability. There is something enduring about Jerusalem being surrounded by the mountains. They cannot be broken. They cannot be shifted. And what the psalmist says is, the people of God can sing a song of hope because God surrounds His people just like that. As secure and as solid as mountains surrounding a city. Cannot be moved. That's what that song says. And, and actually when we think about it, it's saying this, you're an eternal being and you're connected with a God who is eternal, who surrounds you with a security that is unshakable. <laughs> I don't know how you feel about that today. I don't know whether your experience is that you do feel as though you have that kind of security. You do feel as though you have that presence of God around you. But I suspect for many of us that is not our experience. We don't feel that. But the song is saying and is reminding us that those who trust in the Lord are surrounded in that way. We are. Whether we feel it, 
whether we experience it in the moment, we are. That is the God that surrounds us. So hope comes from an eternal security. Secondly, we see this in verse 3. The scepter of the wicked will not remain over the land allotted for the righteous, for then the righteous might use their hands to do evil. Over that verse, we could say this. Evil will not win. That is a great theme. In fact, if we look at at many of the great narratives, the great storylines, the great dramatic stories in in history, uh, even some of the more recent dramatic stories, the whole of uh, C.S. Lewis's Narnia tales, this idea of, of will wickedness triumph over goodness? Tolkien's dramatic tales, even the Harry Potter-themed stories are containing that very idea. Will evil triumph? But here's the thing. The world that we described right at the beginning is the world that this psalm is addressing. It's not a make-believe kind of fiction, kind of mystery. It's the world of corruption. It's the world of evil that we are experiencing. And this verse says, the authority, the scepter, that's the picture that's being painted. The scepter, if at some point in the future you're going to see a coronation. Um, many of us, most of us, haven't seen a coronation in our lifetime, but we'll see a UK coronation at some point, we guess. What we see in the coronation is the scepter is given to the monarch. And it's, it's a symbol of rule. That's what a scepter is. And it was the same in the ancient world. It was something which was carried to declare that I have the rule. And what this verse is saying is that the scepter, the rule, the authority, those in authority are corrupt. Power is corrupt. But it will not remain. It will not win. It will not triumph. But you see, this is really interesting. You see what happens in this verse. We get this assurance that that kind of power won't win because it says the scepter of the wicked will not remain over the land allotted to the righteous. But there's a reason why it won't. And the reason is in the second part of the verse. Of the verse, for then, if it did remain, the righteous might use their hands to do evil. You see that connection that this psalm is making. It's saying if we live in a corrupt land with a corrupt rule, with a corrupt authority then those who dwell in the land will behave in a corrupt way. Are we surprised that we see corruption around us? Do we live in a world with perfect rule? Do we live in a world 
where the powers and authorities of this world, whether they are official powers, or whether they are the powers of money, or power, or politic, or state, or whatever it might be, are they pure and righteous? Or are they corrupt? And our answer is, sadly, to a greater or lesser extent, corruption exists in power, and therefore... Do not be surprised when we see that with corruption at the top, we behave with corruption around us. What does that say to us if we trust in the Lord today? Because we're not seeing this rule in place now. And yet, what we see right the way through the New Testament, uh, from Jesus onwards, we see this. We see the notion, the idea, the concept that we now belong to a new kingdom. And that new kingdom that we now belong to is a kingdom of righteous rule. Even though we live in this world, the Bible says that we might consider ourselves from a rule point of view to be strangers and aliens. Not that we live outside of the rule that we live in this, uh, that we are under in this world. No, but rather that we honor it, but recognize that the God who we serve, the Lord who we trust, is our ultimate Lord and is righteous. And therefore, according to this verse, we ought to be seeking out to live our lives justly. I think that has tremendous implications for us. How do we live in the workplace? How do we behave in our day-to-day dealings? How do we deal, how do we deal with our day-to-day purchases and sales and, and all of the things that we do? Do we live with a mindset which says, the righteous rule which I live under means, therefore, that I will use my hands to do righteousness rather than evil. The rule of evil will not win. That's great news. It's, it's, it's almost the theme of so many great novels. This idea of constant oppression, but this this flavor, this scent, this aroma of hope. What this says is you have got hope because the rule of wicked, of the wicked will not remain over the land. And what that does is by saying that, the people then respond with a prayer of praise. In verse 4, our songs of praise reflect the certainty of God's triumph. Lord, do good to those who are good, to those who are upright in heart. That's a prayer, isn't it? That's what's going on there. Lord, that's an appeal. As soon as you put Lord at the beginning, you're speaking to God and you're making a request. Do you see what's happening there? We're asking God to do what He's promised to do. That's what the prayer is. He said the scepter of the wicked will not remain. And then he says, Lord, do good to those who are good, to those who are upright in heart. Lord, we are praying, will you do what you say you're going to do? 
There's a whole load of stuff in the New Testament about praying within the will of God. And we get ourselves hung up about whether I'm in God's will with tiny little details of life. And we forget this massive meta-narrative about God, the triumphant ruler, who is just and righteous and who is going to change the world to a place of righteousness. And we forget to say, Lord, will we, can we pray that you will do that? That's what the Lord's Prayer contains. That's how it is to pray within the will of God. Will you do what you've promised to do? And then it flips to a statement of confidence. Will you do this, Lord? But those who turn to crooked ways, the Lord will banish with the evildoers. It's this confidence that God is going to bring justice. But God brings something else with that justice. Along with justice comes judgment. You can't have justice without judgment. There is a judgment that comes for those who are crooked, for those who are evildoers. How can we have confidence? How can we know that this isn't just some sort of feel-good song. Kind of psycho, blind faith, psycho babble telling us the story to help us to get through. The reason is because of the first verse. Those who trust in the Lord are like Mount Zion, which cannot be shaken but endures forever. We can be confident because of the idea of eternity. But we can be confident about the idea of eternity because of Mount Zion. How, how does that work? How can we be confident of eternity because of Mount Zion? We can be count, confident of eternity because of Mount Zion because at Mount Zion, the idea of eternity was portrayed for us, was displayed. Because at Mount Zion, what is it? The mountain outside of Jerusalem, we see eternity unfold in the life of Jesus. That's why our hope is in Mount Zion. Because Mount Zion is the presence of God for the old people of the, New, of the Old Testament, for the people of the Old Testament, and for us today, our hope is still Mount Zion. Not a physical place anymore, but the representation of the presence of God where Jesus displays eternity to us. How does Jesus display eternity to us? Because a king is killed. A sacrificed lamb is seen. And that pure, righteous, holy one is buried, dead, and then triumphs over death and comes back to life. And in that moment, we see eternity. You see, eternity is not some sort of fictitious con, 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 uh, no, some fic concept. That's the word I was looking for. It's not this fictitious concept 
It's something which is displayed in Jesus. Which is why Paul says, one of my favorite verses in the New Testament in Corinthians, if it is not for the resurrection, then our faith and our preaching is a complete waste of time. Abandon it. Don't listen to it. Forget it. We're nutters. That is not what is actually said in the Bible. But that is the concept. That's what he's saying. It is a waste of time if eternity is not true. And we see eternity in Jesus. There's our hope. That's why it's not Christian psychobabble or some sort of feel-good, get-us-through-life kind of idea. It's seen in a person who assures us of eternal life. And therefore, there is a reason to sing. There is a reason to sing that the corrupt world that we experience is not going to win. That we can sing a song of hope for righteousness, not like some sort of pop protest song, which has been sung from, from Dylan to Green Day to some of our current singers, constantly singing protest but getting nowhere, the people of God sing a song of hope against corruption with the confidence that it will happen. And that is why this psalm ends, Shalom be on the people of God. Peace be on Israel. Shalom. It, it, peace isn't anywhere near big enough to capture the word shalom. The peace of God poured out on you. Rail against corruption. Rail against injustice. Rail against greed and poverty. But not without hope. Because the peace of God, the shalom of God, is poured out on his people. I hear the Saviour say, thy strength indeed is small, child of weakness watch and pray, find in me thine all in all. Father, you know us, you you know us intimately. You, you even know our hearts. And you know the circumstances of our lives, the difficulties that we all face. And yet we hear your words declared to us tonight that brings us hope. It brings us hope because we see eternity in Jesus Evil will not reign. He will. And we praise you for this. We, give, we, are, we have joy because of this. Father, for those of us who are struggling with this in our hearts, would you help us? Would you make it clear to us by your Holy Spirit, challenge as we ask, 
Help us to take this with us into Monday and Tuesday and the rest of the week. Father, we praise the one who paid our debt and raised this life up from the dead. You deserve all our glory and praise, and we give it to you now. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for being with us. Ash and Paul are going to join me, and we're going to just have a quick, short time of chat. If you want to shuffle, that's okay. <laughs> we won't mind, and I'm sure the sound won't pick up uh, too badly. Um, Ash, I think you're going to grab the mic that Will had. Paul, you've got a mic already. I'm just bossing you around, sorry, from the stage. <laughs> Getting you all sorted. Um, there, there is a reason that we do chat. It's not just because we think we have good ideas and stuff to, to share. I'm going to come back here so that hopefully we can all get on. You might need to shuffle that mic a little bit, Paul, if that's all right. But the reason that we do chat is because actually we think that's what Christian life should look like. We think that we should talk about the Word of God together. We think that we should have stuff that puzzles us. It shouldn't all be straightforward and that we should have to wrestle with it and work it out. And, well, and, and sometimes it isn't as well. You know what I mean? And sometimes, so Paul explains it really clearly, but then there's times when you think, you go away, you're going through it again. It's not all really clear, so it is worth talking about. Yeah, so, um, Ash, you need to switch your mic on at the bottom. I love being bossy, it's great. <laughs> um, yeah, that we, we do need to have these conversations, and we hope that these aren't just conversations that we have very publicly and you know, we prepare a little bit, or I prepare questions in advance, but we hope that they're also questions that you're able to have with your friends and maybe other people you know at Christchurch as well. So. Yeah, I think, I think as well, that's why the, that's why the singing makes sense, Be because you can imagine the power of, of singing back to a group of people certain ideas and certain thoughts. What we sing is what gets impressed in our hearts, and... Um, I think that's why it's important for us to consider the kind of power of the Songs of Ascent in, in its its way to teach us stuff and to mm -hmm. remind us mm -hmm. of stuff. And there would have been lots of mums and dads. I don't, if you've ever been to a football game, you have to explain a lot of songs if you've gone with your kids. They'd be like, yeah. Dad, what was that song about? And you'd be like, yeah, don't listen to that song, but that other song's pretty good. <laughs> sing that. So I guess yeah. with these songs as well, they yeah. would have similarly been, you know, because it's it's something everybody owns, you know, you'd, yeah. you'd, the kids would be, oh, you know, the people who didn't, didn't get the song or they're new to the walk would be asking, yeah. well, what, what, what is that yeah. song about? Why are we yeah. singing about Zion? And then maybe when they got to Zion, I think in this psalm, they'd be like, oh, I see why you, yeah. you know, you'd sing about Zion like that. Yeah. Yeah. So I think it definitely for the children of Israel, that would have been ingrained in them, wouldn't it? Like, do you know, we've got, it's so lovely to have kiddies and babies and, the, but you know, like just that idea of who God is and what eternity yeah. is, that would have been ingrained in them from really, yeah. from birth. And yeah. I have to say that in my life, I've been really fortunate to have the idea of God and eternity. Yeah. That's all, that's been part of my story uh, during that. What do you think some of the challenges are if, thinking through this concept of eternity for maybe somebody who that hasn't been their worldview growing up and does it still can it still speak to them and and so yeah. it was really familiar it's something that you grew up going okay so i get this is i just kind of accepted I it accept that in one sense i'm so sure some do something about it so when it's not part yeah. of everybody's storyline yeah I, I mean the idea of eternity is really conf confrontational <laughs> i think when you've grown up with it where it's part of your life, 
Um, sometimes we kind of grow into things and we, we kind of accept them because we've grown up with them and then we reach a point in life where we, we question them, we, we, we might doubt them and then we, we might come to terms with them. But to come to it afresh, the idea of eternity is just such a, an in-your-face idea. It, it's, it's, not, um, it's not something that, that's small and it's really confrontational because it's saying that the life that you live now is, is way more than most people think it is. Now, that's kind of filled with hope, but according to this, it's also filled with challenge um, because it contains the concept of judgment on the basis of the lives that we live. But I think, I think as well, people flip. Just, I think, um, so in the one sense, it's not an accessible idea. You go, you, you feel very mortal, sometimes more than others. But then you look around at history or different cultures and pretty much every culture yeah. has got some story yeah. about why we're here yeah. for longer. And we kind of flip, yeah. like sometimes we can be quite happy going, yeah, we live for, you know, there's, life's about something and we have that yeah. mindset and then we can have a pretty rubbish day, watch a yeah. depressing episode of the news and think, oh, this is, you know, this is the end of it. So I think we, f we flit around mm -hmm. with those two things. Yeah, that, I think that's right. And I think, I think what's interesting is the, the Christian faith is quite interesting in the idea that it says this idea of eternity is not some sort of ethereal nice thing which, which our culture tends to to want that but it it's a reality which deals with the injustice of the world that we live in that that's that's radical yeah and i think you know what we see our desires for an experience of eternity we want to think about um, we're more than just this moment, but very often it's it's kind of superficial. It's quite fluffy. Fluffy, yeah, it's a great word. It's, it's cloudy, kind of, yeah. as in sitting on one. Yeah, and, <laughs> it's, and it's broken by this, like the scepter that you talked about. Yeah, doesn't feel like it doesn't always feel like that. That's going when you look at the evil powers of the world or whatever. That's, yeah, or just because they don't even look overtly evil all the time. Mm. Do you know what I mean? Mm. It doesn't feel like they're. It doesn't always feel like they're going to be brought to. And then I think that was a great reminder in the psalm to go, oh no, this is going to crumble, you know, yeah. at, yes. at some yeah. point this is undone. And yeah. this, you know, this yeah. world that looks so secure yeah. and, you know, these powers that yeah. look so established yeah. are actually going to be, yeah. they're going to be, you know, un undone at the seams. Yeah, yeah, I wrote, yeah, I wrote some of those things down, Paul, because I thought they were really helpful Monday morning things. So I don't know if you're a... a what your Monday morning looks like, but um, that we can live our lives justly and pray that the will of God would uh, would be what He does. We can pr and pray that out, and these are mm. good kind of justice things that we can live out in the Monday morning. Mm. What if on Monday morning you're feeling pretty annoyed about God's justice and the fact that He gets to make the final decision? And yeah, annoyed might be putting it mildly. <laughs> How do you deal with God's justice then? What are the you know, but you see God speaking to you in that. How I think we talk about God's justice as being a good thing, and yet, in an ultimate sense, how does it motivate us on a Monday morning? And mm. it's it's tricky, isn't it? So like, I think the word trust. I think the word trust is right at the start of the psalm. Mm. I think. Mm. I can't, is that I think psalm? Those who trust in the Lord, yeah. Those who trust. Yeah. And I, and as I read through the psalm this after, I did think. Um, yeah, that is the, the key issue. What does it mean to trust? What does it mean to trust God and to really... Sorry, I'm 
Hi. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, that, that, the, it's just it's a bigger word than you think. It's right there at the start. You can skip by it and you can put all the weight on the rest of the sound. But actually, this idea of trusting, mm. you know, what does it mean on a Monday? Because that's the that's the, where the rubber hits the road. The Monday morning, the, the the sermon and the awesome time of praise can feel like a long way off, can it? It can just feel miles away. Yeah. And somebody can cut you up on the way into work. Somebody can say something horrible. But, you know, it just, mm. your faith can just... We live in that corruption that you were talking about, don't dissipate. we? Dissipate. And yet, and then you go, right, so do I still... do I? And that's when the word trust actually means something. Is this something that I bank on, that I, you know, that, that can carry me through this? So I think, yeah, that's been a... That's my ongoing 20-odd year journey of faith. Is Do I, do I trust this now? Do I trust this in this moment? Yeah, I think as well. The, it's coming to terms with, in one sense, the greatest injustice is the greatest justice. That the greatest injustice that we see in humanity is the crucifixion of the sinless Son of God. And in that is the greatest justice of God. I mean, in one sense, that's the most scandalizing aspect of God's justice that he pours out judgment on his perfect son so that those who trust in him can receive his righteousness. That's a mind-blowing concept. That's another concept that's confrontational, isn't it? <laughs> Absolutely, because it then says, my unrighteousness is severe enough, mm. is significant enough to put Jesus on the cross. Mm. But then that's what he did for me as well. Good. Thank you both for uh, helping us just even just scratch the surface of some of those yeah. concepts. I hope that helps your Monday morning uh, tomorrow. Um, read over the psalm again. You can catch up on the psalm on our podcast and things like that. But um, thanks very much. Thank I'll just uh, ask God to bless us and then we'll, uh, we'll be finished. God, we pray that your word would take deep root in our hearts that it would change us and shape us, that we would be people who live in light of it. And we ask you for these things this week in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thanks for joining us, guys. Thank See you, you soon.